Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. If I've learned anything in life, and uh, I've learned about the, about the time that I think I've got things figured out that I don't, The more you study the Word of God, somebody thinks, boy, if I study the Word of God, uh, uh, I get to answer all of my questions. Well, yes, all of the main questions, but I guarantee you the more you study, the more questions you're going to have. Because questions are such an important part of our learning process. And the Lord sees to it that, uh, that they never stop. Another thing I've learned is things always changing. I mean, not just the four seasons, but things in life. And I make mention of that because whenever we come to this ninth chapter, at the very beginning, we read about the transfiguration of Christ there upon the mount. And I, I wow, I, I try to imagine in my mind what it would be like to to be in their place. Peter had the idea, I think it was, he said, this is good, let's just stay here. And you know, we all go through those times in our lives, let's just, this is great, let's just, Lord, this is the way I want it to be from now on. Don't, don't let it ever change. But as you read on, it says, and when they came down from the mountain, you mark it down for every mountaintop, there's going to be a valley. For every blessing, a burden. And they came down from the mountain, and I'm going to pick up the story in verse number 14, and I'm going to read quite a few verses. And if you don't listen to anything I say this morning, please listen to what God says in His Word, because what He says is more important than what I say about it. Verse number 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all of the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnashes with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and he saw him straightway the Spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his, he asked his father, How long is it since, uh, ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything... Let me repeat that. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, 
I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, He rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was one as one that was dead inasmuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Here is the story of a demonized boy, a distressed father, defeated disciples, and a demonstration of divine deliverance. What a great example of the things that God can do. And there's so many lessons to be learned from this story that it'd take literally take hours if we just tried to delve into every little detail of it. But I want you to focus this morning on just one line of thought. The title of the message is Unbelieving Believers. And the last time I preached, if I remember right, I preached about are you a believer? Are you a believer? And certainly we would hope that... Uh, Everybody could say that, yes, I'm a believer. I've received Christ as my Savior. I'm trusting His shed blood to save me from my sin. But here we're talking about unbelieving believers. Notice verse 24, where the Father said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. But notice what sparked that statement. Verse 23, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. That's what sparked that statement. When the Lord said, Any, if you believe, anything's possible. Anything that's in the will of God, anything that, you know, that, that pleases God, anything is possible if you believe. And that's why he said, Lord, I believe. Help mine unbelief. Alexander McLaren, the great old-timey writer back probably in the early 1800s or something, said concerning that, that statement, he said, that majestic word is like a, a blow of steel upon flint. It strikes a little spark of faith which lights up the soul and turns the smoky pillar of doubt into clear flame of confidence. Lord, I believe. Help mine unbelief. Lord, I believe there's so many mysteries in this story, and I don't want you to I don't want you to cloud the matter by trying to look at all of the confusing mysteries. I want you to get the clear message. And the first thing that comes to my mind when I look at this story is that there seems to be a contradiction here. I'm using that word here because that's exactly the way that it appears, and it's one of the many paradoxes found in the Bible. You know, if we're to live, we're to die, if we're to get, we're to give, right? All of these paradoxes, and here we see another paradox. Seems like a contradiction. There are those, you know, they claim they don't believe the Bible. They say it's not true, but they never read 
the context in which a statement is made. But when you look at the context and you look at the big picture, you'll see that God never contradicts Himself. So here is a paradox that is intended to teach a very important, clear lesson. And the first obvious thing you come to that is that believers can be doubters. Believers can be doubters. And let me say this. If you're here today and you, the, and you don't know whether you're saved or not, one day you think you are and the next day you're not so sure about that, there's something really seriously wrong in your life. There is no reason for any child of God to doubt whether they're saved or not. But we never know what's going on in a person's life. I remember as a young preacher, I was very adamant about that, that if you doubt it, you don't have it. That was my attitude. But that doesn't always take everything into consideration. As I've said, you can fall off of a horse and hit your head on a rock and not know your name or address for a while. There are things that can happen that disturbs your equilibrium to where you're not even thinking straight. Overdose of drugs or alcohol can do that. There are a lot of different things that can cause people to doubt momentarily. And mark it down, just because you are a believer, don't think that you'll never doubt. And I'm not talking now about your salvation. I'm talking about in other matters because there's so many times we've got unbelieving believers, they don't doubt their salvation they're certain in their heart that the Lord has saved them, that they're going to heaven when they die. But they sure got a lot of doubts as to how God's going to take care of them. I mean, here you have in the Bible all of these exceeding great and precious promises and you can run from one to the other during your time of need and you can just camp out there and say, look, this is what God said. This is a promise from God. And the next day, you find yourself doubting that. You're a believer, but you're doubting how God is going to take care of you in your life. You're doubting what God can do for you or to you in your life. And that's a great hindrance because number one, unbelief robs us of all kinds of blessings. It impedes our progress as Christians. Boy, if the devil can get a person discouraged, he has them right where he wants them because they'll never get beyond that until they get over it. And one of the things that causes us to get so discouraged is our doubts. And I'm, I'm, I mentioned that out of experience. I can remember when we was started a church in Fairgrove, Missouri, and we was building a concrete block building. None of us really knew how to do it. Thankfully, we had an, an old feller by the name of George Fowler. And he was way up in his 80s or early 90s. And he'd been a bricklayer all of his life. And he said, well, you get the blocks and you mix the mortar and I'll show, show you all how to do it. Well, we got it up and finally we got it up on the, we got it up uh, to the point that we could put a roof on. And most of, the t most of the time, those people, I tell you, you could depend on them for anything. But on this particular night, it was late in the evening, it's getting dark. And for some reason, I was up on that roof by myself. And as faithful as those people were, the devil began to 
pound on me. Why, why are you up here? Because you work eight hours a day and then you come and, and do this. Why? No reason for me to doubt. I started to throw my hammer down and just get down the ladder and say, forget all about it. This is too much. And I stood up. And when I did, I looked out at all of those lights around Fairgrove. You see the lights coming on. Farming community. And I thought to myself, how can you walk away from all of these, all of these people out here that need Christ as their Savior? And I'm telling you what, God just did a work in my heart making me so ashamed of myself that I, that I ever thought about quitting. I remember whenever finally the church got to the point that they could pay me a little salary and it wasn't even enough to pay our bills, but it's a little bit. But they said, uh, they said, Pastor, we, we hate it that you have to work. We don't want you to work. We want you to be a full-time. We, we'll give you all we can. And they did. They gave all they could at that time. I think it was $75 a week. That, that's all they, that, you know, you try to, try to rent a place and pay the utilities and feed the, the kids and all of that. And I went into my boss and told him, well, I'm... Uh, I'm going, to, I'm going to quit. Here's my resignation. And he knew my situation. He said, well, how in the world are you going to make it? I said, uh, I'm just trusting God to supply our needs. And, and I'm here to tell you, God never wants to fail us. But let me tell you, when we begin to doubt whether God's going to supply our needs or get, whether or not God's going to get us through it, and help us endure our tribulations. It's going to rob us of those blessings that He has for us. It's going to stunt our spiritual growth. And instead of having peace and joy, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a miry pit of misery. And the whole root of the problem is this. It's the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Unsaved people don't know what I'm talking about here. Those people that are unsafe, they don't know anything about the inward struggles that you wrestle with as a Christian. They don't know anything about that. Somebody, you know, had talked to me back before I was saved. Well, why do you drink? Well, because I want to. So nobody, don't you feel bad about it? Well, no. Don't feel bad about it. Back before I was saved, if I stole something, I, I, as long as I didn't get caught, I figured that's all right. I think back over the, the wretched life that I lived and the attitude that I had. I, I, I never was troubled by, uh, by the things that I, that I did until the Spirit of God began to convict me of my sinfulness. And I receive Christ as my Savior. You don't get by with anything after that. I sat there the other night and I was thinking, I'd steal when I was a kid. I'd steal anything from anybody except my mom and dad. And all of a sudden, I, we got to thinking about the only time I ever stole from my dad. Was one night I came in late, really late and uh, needed gas in the car and they were both asleep they were sleeping on one of those pull out 
sofas in, in what was the front room at that time. And, and I got down in Dad's pocket and got a 50-cent piece out of his pocket. I had quite a bit of gas back then for that. And I, to this day, it still haunts me to think that I would have done that. That I would have done that to my daddy. The one that promised me and said, you kids, told me and sis, you kids might not have everything you want, but I'll guarantee you, you always have something to eat. I'm telling you, listen, God wants the very best for us. And the minute that we begin to doubt Him, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. Not just in that we miss the blessings, but whenever the conviction of the Holy Spirit takes away that peace and that joy that you have in your heart. If you're a child of God, look, it's going to catch up with you. It always does. No Christian ever sins successfully. Oh, you can hide it from me or Brother Kenneth. You can hide it from everyone else. Hide it from your husband. Hide it from your wife. But if you're a child of God, you know. You know that God knows. And you cannot be happy. You cannot have peace with that kind of an attitude. So that's why we're talking about a contradiction here. On one hand, you know, it's... A seemingly impossible situation. And on the other hand, the Lord's saying, no, if you can believe. If, if you can do anything, if, imagine that. If you can do anything. He's talking to the, to the one that created the heavens and the earth. He, the creator of all things. If you can do anything, if you can help us. Notice his confession, though, and, and this, is, this is tremendous. I believe, but notice he says, help mine unbelief. I mean, that's a picture of honesty there. And our prayers will never be effective unless we're honest. That I mean, genuine and sincere. And let me tell you, that's a pretty rare thing nowadays. You know, it's real quick for us to see the faults of someone else, but it's really difficult. Now, I'm talking about me, you, or anybody else. It's difficult for us to see our own faults. I can see Brother Kenneth's faults easier than I can see mine because I don't want to see mine, you know. We all, that's the vestiges of that old sinful nature within us that we always want to put ourselves in the best possible light. And we're not always honest even whenever we pray. Not always honest about our spiritual condition. And he's admitting, he said, Lord, I believe it helped my unbelief. It's not just honest, but that's a spirit of humility there. He's humble about it. And pride is the very thing that keeps us from being honest about our, our spiritual condition. Pride. Oh, you say, well, I got over that a long time ago. No, you're just kidding yourself. You think about all of the problems that pride creates, and it's behind everything, going all the way back to Satan's rebellion against God. And you trace it right down through the Bible, and every ill thing, 
every act of rebellion against God, everything in some way or another is connected to pride. We don't want to look at ourselves as we really are. Lisa was singing, you know, that it ought to be the desire of our heart for others to see Jesus in us. That, that, that ought to be exactly what we want. But we've got to be as honest as this man was, and that requires humility. And notice how heartfelt it was. He said, help my unbelief. But notice it says, he's, with tears. With tears. He's not just saying some words without any, without any meaning. I think about David and the great sins that David had committed in there in Psalms 51, where finally David comes to his senses and he confesses his sins. And he said in verse number 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward part. We can just gibbly say something, you know, like, Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I'm... Whatever, I'm sorry. And not mean a word of it. But he has tears in his eyes. This, this is not a minor issue with him. He understands that doubt, doubting God, doubting God's ability, doubting God's willingness is, is a serious matter. If you can do anything, would you help me and my boy? And with tears, notice his cry. Just one word here. Help. Help. The season of that was during a time of adversity in his life. Try to picture what this man is going through. He is tormented by what has happened to, to his son. You know, a lot of times it takes great adversity. It takes pain. It takes... Disappointment, it takes some tragedy in our life to wake us up to what's really important in life. Whenever you get home, you might turn to the 107th Psalm, and whenever you do, as you read through there, it's talking about the tragedies and the adversities and the things that God allowed to come upon the children of Israel. But as you go through there, I want you to underline the word then. <laughs> then. Each time after the tragedy, it would say, and then they cried unto the Lord. And, and there's so many times that we don't get serious about, about things in our life until some tragedy really strikes home. Then. And here he is crying out for help, the kind of help that only God can give. This is an acknowledgement that God alone could help him. <laughs> he had gone to the disciples and they, they couldn't do anything. They fell flat on their face. And by the way, they had done things like this before. If I remember right and got my chapters right in my mind, they had succeeded before. And I think that's why I said to them first, you help my boy. They, but they failed miserably. And now here he is expressing doubt as to God's ability or God's willingness. I'm so glad for this confirmation here as he's crying out. He says, Lord, I believe. I believe. That's, I guess you could 
you say that's kind of like an argument regarding his plea for help. In other words, he's stating uh, the reason for it. This is a, a heartfelt pleading with God. It's like the presentation of a reason as to why the Lord ought to grant it. Lord, I, be, I do believe. But help mine unbelief. You know, whenever we pray, so many times we pray for something, but we never, we never express any reason why we need our prayer to be answered. You know, it's kind of like, well, Lord, I'm really sick. And I, in fact, the doctor said I might not make it another six months. Or, Lord, I'm broke. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't pay my bills. And, and uh, find ourselves in those situations. And we pray, Lord, you know, Lord, help us. And I think God would be fully justified if he's, uh, a voice sounded from heaven. Why? Why? Hezekiah, why do you want me to extend your life? And I think God is well pleased whenever we give a reason that is a justification for our desire. And that starts with this. Lord, help my unbelief. Because I need it. And I don't have anywhere else to turn other than you. And Lord, it'll be for your glory. You see, when we make it all about us and the fact that we need help, and that's all right. God, God knows we need help before we ever pray. He knows every little detail of every single problem before we ever utter a word. He's not confused about it one little bit. But whenever you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, I, the doctors don't give me a, a chance. But Lord, I tell you, I, I just want to live so I can serve you longer. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now, now keep in mind that this is an essential matter here because we're talking about his boy. You say, well, I'm glad I don't have a problem like that. Well, you don't have exactly the same problem that this guy did or that boy did. But the, the same devil that caused him to be demon-possessed, that same devil is just as active today as he was back then. Devil never takes a vacation. He's on the job 24 hours a day, every, every day of the week, all year long. And it might not be that his work is manifested as it was with him. You know, it's a, I, I think even the Baptist preachers nowadays have become afraid to even mention anything about demon possession. Let me tell you, you're, don't ever get your focus on the devil and demon possession and that kind of stuff. But you better believe that, that it is as real today as it ever was. It's the manifestations of it that are different. Here, 
he's deaf and he's dumb, this boy all of a sudden to go in a fit of rage that he didn't understand, daddy didn't understand it, he'd jump in the fire. You see, and your child doesn't have any of those, those symptoms. None of those problems. It might be your child or someone you love dearly, someone you care about. They're just as much under Satan's control as that boy was. It might be alcohol, it might be drugs, it might be sex, it can be 40, 11 different things. It doesn't matter so much about the manifestation as the fact that it's destroying their lives. Uh, you could say this kid didn't have a life. He's totally under, under the control of, of this demon that's in him. And he can't find any help anywhere. Whenever I look at this story, I, it's not only something that, that is an essential lesson for us, but it's educational for each and every one of us because we've all got problems of some kind, don't we? Nothing like this at all. And we ought to expect that. You know, we're not going to get through this world, you know. It's not a bed of roses. It's not going to be always fun. not going to be always easy. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, the, the fact that this prayer, this plea prevailed shouldn't really surprise us at all. God granted exactly what He needed and what He wanted. And just knowing that God did that then ought to encourage you and I to focus on our prayer life. Because we need the kind of help that can only come from God. How do you get it? Faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And some of you here today... Say, Lord, I believe. I know I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm saved. I believe. I even believe in eternal security, Lord. I've got that down pat. And then you'll turn around and worry yourself sick about some, something else. All because you're doubting that God's going to take care of you. And by the way, when I talk about God taking care of you, I'm not always talking about, you know, being in perfect health or having a full bank account. I'm not talking about that. There's some things a lot of times that God knows is better for us than what we want. What we want's not always what we need. You couldn't find a better man than John the Baptist was and God allowed his head to be cut off. That's why this all seems like a big contradiction. Why, why did it happen to them? And, and the Lord said, if... If you believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Wait a minute, Lord. What, what, what about Paul? Maybe the greatest Christian that ever lived. What about him? When he was shipwrecked, when he was beaten, put in jail, put in prison. When he suffered hunger, went through all of those things. Was that still true? Let me tell you the hardest prayer for most people to pray, maybe for all of us. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
we say those words, and but we don't always have the faith to really believe that's what's best. Do you really believe God's will is best? Well, I hope so. Because it is whether you believe it or not. And we need to have the kind of faith that whenever we pray, Thy will be done, that we believe that however it turns out, that whether it's in time or whether it's in eternity, wherever it is, that it's going to be for our good. That's why this, the faith factor here is what this is all about. Lord, I believe, but I'm struggling in this area of my life. Aren't you glad that he was honest enough, humble enough to admit that, that confessing to the Lord, well, I got a problem. Look, look, when we lack faith, we've got a serious problem. You say, well, and most people, you know, they don't think a lack of faith is any more serious than maybe a runny nose or a cold or a flat tire in the car. It's not, not a big deal. I can live with that. I'll get over it. But my Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. You can't, you can't do anything to please God without faith. If it's not a faith, it's sin. God expects us to take every step in our walk in faith, believing, trusting in Him. And that same verse, you believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That's in the present tense. That means it's not something we do occasionally. It's something that we do continually. It's something that we do on a regular basis. Something that requires effort. That we diligently seek Him. Maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, preacher, I'll admit that I've, I've got so many doubts. Well, what are you doing about it? It's one thing to say, yeah, I've got a, I've got a problem with, with doubts, not about salvation, but I'm just one of those doubting Thomases. I don't have any peace. I don't have any joy. I, I, yeah, I, I've got a problem. And for us to look at God's exceeding great and precious promise and just walk away from it, we're just hurting ourselves. Lord, I believe but I need for you to help me in my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but there's another area of my life that I'm really having problems with, and I need your help in that area. And it'll never, ever happen without our faith in God. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We are saved by faith. Faith brings salvation to our souls. It brings rest into our lives. We can say, thank God, don't have to worry about it. I'm just resting in that. It brings motivation in the work that we do for the Lord. To trust the Lord, because sometimes the devil will whisper in your ear, oh, it's not going to do any good. Don't go knock on any doors. Don't, you, don't need, you don't need to go hand out any more tracts. It's not going to do any good. People are not going to listen to you. But faith comes along and faith says, you keep going. Your work's not in vain in the Lord. 
that brings excitement to our future. Excitement to our future. I'm glad that I can say this, that we're always going in the right direction when we're walking by faith. Sometimes it won't seem that way to other people as they look at your life. And they think, boy, I tell you what, he's going down just as Frank, my boss, told me that time. He said, there's no way you can make it. And he was right. There's no way I could make it. But there was a way God could make it. And he put, got us through all of that. I'm just saying to you, regardless of what the situation in your life, you, I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, I'm not demon-possessed, my child isn't demon-possessed, or, and so I must not have a problem. No, you can have problems just as serious as, as that young man had, or that broken-hearted daddy. What if, that, what if that daddy had said, son, I guess you're just always going to be a mess like that? You know, dad, my dad made one statement that motivated me more than anything I ever heard in all my life. I don't remember how old I was, probably 14, 15 years old, because it's my job to mow the yard. Oh yeah, by the way, our mowers back then didn't have motors on them. <laughs> it wasn't that kind of a lawnmower. And so I was supposed to have the yard mowed before Daddy got in that day. And boy, he just come unglued whenever I was, didn't have it done. And I was out there in the backyard, just started on that grass lower there. I just piddling around there. He grabbed that mower out of my hand. He made this to me. He said, I'll tell you what, son, you're never going to amount to a blankety-blank thing the rest of your life. And you know what? He was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. I would not have ever been any different than I was had it not been for the saving grace of God. And the only way that I could appropriate God's saving grace to this old sinner was what? Through faith. You say, well, preacher, I've got this problem. I don't know what to do about it. Number one, get into the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Listen to your Sunday school teacher. Listen when Brother Kenneth is up there preaching from Ecclesiastes trying to tell you that you can't find satisfaction anywhere else. If your problem is a lack of faith, there's something you can do about it and God holds you responsible to do something about your unbelief. But it takes that honesty. Lord, I, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. I, unless I miss my guess, and I, hope, I sure hope I'm wrong, but more than likely somebody will walk out that door today and leave here knowing that they've left with unfinished business with God, knowing that just like that man, Lord, But never doing anything about it. Think about that daddy caring enough about his boy to do what he did.
those of us with children, we ought to do everything within our power. They not, might not be foaming at the mouth. They might not be cutting themselves. Might not be throwing themselves in fires. Might be that they're unsaved, taken captive by the devil at his will, as the Bible says. It's a scary thought to think about your own kids dying and going to a devil's hell. That ought to motivate us to live, as Lisa saying earlier, to live in a way that others will see Jesus in us. And that takes faith. Will you trust Him this morning? You say, well, preacher, I, th this problem's, uh, I, I don't think there's an answer for this problem. Oh, yeah. There's an answer for every problem. And that answer is Jesus. Let's all stand together. Brother Kenneth is going to come, Brother Myrick and the musicians, and we're going to extend an invitation. I don't know what God might be speaking to your heart about this morning. It might be that there's some, some dire need in your life. It might be some miserable failure that God's been dealing with you about. It might be some loved one that is.